Hello and welcome to Non-Breaking Space, which you can find online at nonbreakingspace.tv. Non-Breaking Space is a show where we'll seek out the best, brightest, and smartest people on the web and talk to them about how and why they do what they do. Your hosts are Christopher Schmidt and Dave McFarlane, two web designers, authors, and trainers who have a passion for sharing knowledge about the web. I'm Chris from Canada, a web designer and podcaster Christopher and Dave have invited along to help push the record button and keep everyone on track here on Non-Breaking Space. Our guest for this episode is Rachel Andrew. Rachel is a web developer, speaker, and prolific author. Her new book, The CSS3 Anthology, was just released by SitePoint. She's also the founder of the web development agency, edgeofmyseat.com. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Christopher and Dave and their conversation with Rachel. Thanks, Chris. Hey, how's it going, Dave? What have you been up to? Oh, well, I just got back from vacation, so I'm feeling pretty relaxed, um, although I've got a ton of work to catch up on, so I'm busy with all of that. I had this weird experience yesterday. I had to um, change uh, an order that I made with Apple.com, and so uh, I called, and it said, hello, this is an automated voice system. What may I help you with? And I said, well, I have to change an order. And then there was the sound of a typewriter, like clicking in the background as if this automated voice was somehow typing what I was saying. Yeah. And it came back to me, hmm, that's interesting. May I have more information? So I said, uh, well, I have to change the order for this book I placed, you know, book order I placed online. <laughs> more typing in the background. Well, let me turn you over to a human being who can help you with that. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm talking to a real person who doesn't type at all. So it's kind of... <laughs> Yeah, we just relegated our actually typewriters to robots now, so it's pretty nice. <laughs> How are you doing? Um, I'm doing all right. Doing okay. I, I was going to ask you. So you were on vacation. Do you are you the type of person who uh, just hangs up the internet um, while you're gone, or do you uh, check in, or do you are you still on? Uh, no. Well, when you have two small kids, you kind of have to hang up the internet so wow. that you can follow them around the museums and the parks and the playgrounds. So, right. okay, cool. so yes, I was not checking, not doing Twitter, barely doing email, and yeah. it was nice. Yeah. It's, Go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's, I've only gone cold turkey once uh, in, my, uh, in the last few years, and so it's, it was, it's, I guess it's like an addiction. You just cut it off and whatever, but, uh, but yeah, it's pretty... It's pretty nice how much you don't really need on the internet sometimes. I know it's yeah. sacrilegious to say that, but... Uh, um, so yeah. I'm super excited because today we have Rachel Andrews. She is a longtime web designer, developer, member yes. of web communities. She's been writing for years and blogging and writing books and speaking. Yes. And um, so I'm excited to have her here today. Uh, welcome, Rachel. Hello. It's, it's really good to be with you. All right. So um, maybe uh, for those who don't know who you are, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into web development and what you're what you're doing now. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I've been doing this for a very long time, something like fourteen or fifteen years, um, and I'm a web developer, not really a designer, and not these days anyway. <laughs> uh, I think I probably, I probably got into this with some pretensions that I might do web design, but uh, sort of back in the day, there really wasn't very much to it. Um, and it fairly quickly became apparent that I was a really awful designer, but <laughs> quite a good programmer. So, <laughs> so yes, I, I do web development, uh, uh, front and back end, uh, mainly PHP these days um, on the back end. And, yeah, I, I run a um, web development consultancy, edgeofmyseat.com. I've been doing that for about 10 years. And we've got a little product called Perch, which is a content management system. And other than that, I write stuff. Essentially, I do things and then 
if I think it's quite interesting and might be useful to someone else, I write about it. And that's really where most of my writing comes from. That's great. Well, um, I'm glad you mentioned Perch because that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um, mm-hmm. So your company uh, develops this thing, Perch, which you call mm-hmm. a mini CMS. Yeah. So maybe you could explain, you know, what is that? Why is it a mini CMS and how does it work? Okay, well, we've, I mean, as, as a company, as a service business, we were doing fairly large-scale custom content management. And so, you know, when, when people had very custom needs, they wanted something specific. And one of the things we were very keen to do was to do something that involves structured content so that rather than just having great big blobs of content on the page and not really knowing what it was, um, we have content which is marked up sort of as it is. So it's marked up as an event or it's marked up as a news item or or what have you. Um, And we were often getting people coming to our service business and saying, well, I've got this little tiny site and can you build so you know a CMS for that and we just weren't set up for it so Perch came out of that need really to have something small for small sites because just because you've got a small site doesn't mean that you want it to have terrible content you know, right. <laughs> um, you know that that sort of care over the content um, was kind of as important for a small site as it is for for a huge site mm-hmm. and so that's really was the sort of core thing about Perch we wanted something that had that let you manage content really well but was also very lightweight um, and, and sort of, you know, very easy to develop um, and, and gave you sort of design control as well. So is it, um, is it do you edit within the browser? Do people, uh, say a client can just go to their website and, and enter into an edit mode, for example, and start editing content? Or is there some more kind of an admin panel like WordPress for editing? There's, there's, there's an admin panel. Um, for various reasons, um, we kind of think that the sort of front-end editing, while it's very, very nice, it's a nice trick, um, we, we kind of find it a bit flawed. A, a big reason being that if you start to reuse content around and if you're thinking of content as as actually a sort of block of content as a thing of its own and then being able to reuse it in different places, mm-hmm. once you start editing from the front-end, you're a bit stuck really because you're thinking of it as being in the place where it currently is. Um, whereas, you know, if you're editing an article, for instance, when you might want to pull a bit of that out onto the homepage, you might want to show it in a list somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so having an admin panel actually opens you up to quite a lot of other functionality as well as just basically editing content. Mm-hmm. So we, we edit on, on in, in an admin panel. Um, uh-huh. But it's entirely template-based. So a designer can build a template in HTML, add a few perch tags, and then just refresh that page in the, in the browser, go into the admin, and then they can edit the content there. They don't have to do any PHP or anything. Mm-hmm. So is this, uh, so the content's kept in, a, in like a My, MySQL database? Yes, it's, uh-huh. Yeah, it's all PHP and MySQL. Because <laughs> I've seen some other uh, things like, um, like Unify from mm-hmm. Unit Interactive, which is more of mm-hmm. you build the website and then... Uh, clients can individually edit directly on the page, right? So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's yeah. that's even a more mini, mini CMS, I guess mm-hmm. you would call it, because it's not really managing the content in a database. It's just sort of allowing people to uh, edit already created yeah. web pages. At least that's yeah. my understanding of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think, and people use Perch really in that way as well. You know, they they build a site and then they sort of plug Perch into it and 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 edit bits of content on it. But, but in an admin panel as opposed to on the front end. Mm. But I mean, what we, also, what we also wanted to do was have enough functionality that people could do interesting things. Mm-hmm. So we have got a, an API uh, so people can develop their own apps for Perch. Oh, wow. and, and we've built a bunch of apps for Perch. You know, we've got a blog and we've got a, a shop which hooks up with Foxycart. Mm. And so it's a little bit more than just hmm. 
just the content and we were really keen to have something because a smaller site actually can have all sorts of bits of functionality. Sure. Um, you know, we've got a fully developed HTML5 forms implementation. So you can do um, contact forms which save the information in the database. Oh, and, great. And we've implemented all the HTML5 forms stuff on the back end as well so that if you've got a browser that doesn't support the HTML5 validation, it still gets validated somewhere else. Um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to do interesting things with it mm. and allow interesting things with it as well. That, that's awesome. Is this a hosted service or is it, um, does the, the you, buy, you buy a license and you host it yourself on your own server? You, yeah, you, you host it yourself. Because um, when we first came to, to do this, there wasn't really anything around that was self-hosted. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people like to have that control and know that, you know, they've got it, they've got it installed. Um, it's not going to go away if the, if the company goes away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. um, yeah, I mean, what what that means is that our biggest support implication is dealing with terrible PHP installations on shared hosting. <laughs> <laughs> right. Things Drew right. and I now know about how people misconfigure PHP. <laughs> it wasn't something I'd set out to be an expert in, but <laughs> right. Well, I imagine that's why most companies who do hosted versions of CMS is that's why they do it so they don't have to deal with the customer support of somebody calling up and saying I've got PHP 3.2 running and it doesn't seem to work you know yeah yeah it's i mean it's amazing the things that come up and you know there's so much stuff you know people want to process massive images and then they right. you know doing why PHP's timing out and they're on some shared hosting account that they're paying $3 a month for oh wow yeah <laughs> and, and it, you know, and trying to explain to people, well, that's not actually us. <laughs> so it, it, it's that is that is difficult. Um, I mean, you know, we're very much happy with. I mean, mo- you know, most people have no trouble at all, and it, it works right. very well on, on sure. small right. accounts. But it's it is difficult because there's some terrible, terrible hosting out there. <laughs> right. yeah. you know, baffling about hosting. So, so what type of? Um, I know we talked about you uh, have, pl- I guess, plug- add-ons or plugins for for Perch for. Shopping carts and and forms for backend stuff. Do you know what type of size and and type of websites will be perfect for Perch? Um, well, really, I mean, it 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 starts to um, be less managed where you've got an awful lot of content. I mean, it, it really is designed for sites with smaller numbers of pages. I mean, I have seen pretty big sites running it, um, and, and that's really an admin interface. Um, issue that you know at the moment is that the admin interface is very much tailored for small sites in terms of what it can handle it can handle enormous sites and i've you know i've seen ridiculous amounts of pages <laughs> no, not, nothing like you know we'd really imagine people would use it for mm. i mean that's something we you know we think about a lot and we're looking at because actually sort of a, a simple site can actually have quite a lot of content mm-hmm. uh, but sure. it's still fairly simple and it's you know whether we can whether we can do something around that in terms of letting people add more pages and, and make the interface more practical for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of sort of scalability and the amount of traffic, um, you know, we've seen some, some fairly high traffic sites get on just fine because actually when it, the, all the templates are compiled at edit time. So the, when, it, when things are served, it really is just one or two simple queries that, mm-hmm. that are happening. As opposed to WordPress, which is like you know several several hundred, <laughs> which is terrifying. Like, and- yes, it's yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing we're very keen on, um, and always have been with 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 all the stuff that we've done, the large scale stuff we've done as well. That it that it's sort of very performant and it scales really easily. Yeah, I, that's that's great. I will have to check this out. Um, 
you know, it used to be the CMSs they were reserved for large or medium, you know, medium-sized companies. They got a lot of money. They have an IT staff. But you know, WordPress has certainly been a game changer, at least in terms of like people's public perception of what is available for free or relatively, you know, inexpensive, easy to implement CMS solutions. Yes. Um, it kind of seems like CMSs are becoming more the norm rather than the exception, even for people who are relatively new to, to web development. Is that, do you get that impression? Or Yes, yeah. I mean, a lot of the people that we sort of see and support, um, you know, well, we, we get quite a few people who have tried to install WordPress and, and haven't been able to do that. And mm-hmm. someone said to them, oh, purchase release to install. And so that they, and, and obviously we support people because it's a paid for product and so we you know we we offer unlimited support to people who need it so wow. you know we do see a lot of people who come in and, and haven't re- don't really even understand the concept of what a cms is doing sure and so you know we have to help those people and and, and get them through the initial install and get them started so yeah i, mean, I think i think their clients then are saying to them well i need to be able to edit it i think that's normal now mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, because because generally clients will know that even if they haven't had a website themselves before, they'll know that other people that they know are editing their own websites and they want it too. So I think small, simple solutions are, are ideal for that sort of person who really is just a web designer. They haven't done any development. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I've been teaching uh, web development design for you know I don't know twelve years. I teach at a university here in the states, and um, it really seems like CMSs are becoming you know, what students are expecting they need to know, you know, like WordPress. I have students who are just starting in a multimedia program and they already know about WordPress and they already feel like they need to know how to do it um, even before they've kind of even grasped HTML and CSS. Um, You know, how do you see web education being impacted by this need for CMSs, the need for clients to be able to... um, you know, uh, edit their content. I mean, it used to be, okay, here, I'll show you how to use a text editor or Dreamweaver and you build your 20-page website and all the HTML and CSS and images and then you upload that to the server and then you say, client, here is your site. Um, doesn't seem like that's how we do it mm. anymore. No. That- yeah, I think yeah, it, it is difficult. I, I, I see a lot of people kind of wanting to run before they can walk, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, because, and I, you know, I've... I've discussed this recently with people you know when when I got started and I guess when you got started there wasn't actually very much to learn you know yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you learned a bit of HTML didn't you and <laughs> right. the website I mean you know I, I remember seeing my first rollover image you know and <laughs> I think, wow right. what is this you know? that's crazy <laughs> yeah you know I mean all, all that stuff was just happening um uh, you know I had Internet Explorer 3 I remember that coming out you know it, right. it was yeah. it's uh so there wasn't so much to learn. I think now it's not only that uh, the front-end technologies, there's, there's so much new stuff and complex stuff and sites are quite complex. You know, the average website has got a lot going on and there's a lot to learn to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And also on, you know, on the back end, there's, there's a lot of different things that people are doing and there's also an awful lot of choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I started, if you wanted to do anything on the back end, really, you were learning Perl. That's what it was. You right. were writing CGI yeah. scripts. CGI. Uh, and that's that's how I got into web development was I taught myself Perl because I really, really wanted to write my own guest book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and in order to write myself a guest book, I needed to get the O'Reilly Camel book and learn Perl. That's right, yeah. So, you know, that that's really, that was 
the route. That was it. You know, I hear you. I, hear you. I had to get yeah. the visitor counter on yeah. my homepage. Yeah, everyone I knew was writing a guest book. You know, <laughs> so, uh, uh, um, so I, you know, I, th- I think that now it must be very difficult to to get started to to actually think. Well, what route do I take? Yeah, um, yeah. Everything's so specialized now. You just can't be mm-hmm. a generalist, and I find that's kind of cool, but also kind of sad in a way because there's uh, so much uh, potential if if you're just a designer and developer uh, hybrid, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. You can just you know do your own thing and and create your own kind of brand and uh, you know be an entrepreneur and do so much stuff. I mean, it's just it's I sort of equate it to like everyone can get their you know Gutenberg press now. And, mm-hmm. and actually, like you know, you know, spell their, and they, and they do, you know. I'm not saying they, people don't do that, but but I figure, you know, there's a lot more people who, if they have uh, design basics and uh, some basic uh, programming, and you know, not you know, st- still be a generalist, they can still mm-hmm. do some awesome mm-hmm. things that they they haven't done before. And and um, I'm really glad with the uh, I don't know I think with uh, with frameworks and um, and lots of tools out there, people can still still do that. But I, I find that uh, uh, with the way uh, you know the web is evolving so fast and rapidly. Do do you find that? Yeah, I mean, I, I find that people just they they need to be labeled in terms of a uh, specialty. Like, you know, do you, mm. and uh, just going into a web education, like I'm going to be a designer or a, a programmer or a UX person or something like that. So it's like, um, I mean, do you do you do like your own uh, at your shop? You do your own UX and do you do your own IA or do you do you have uh, people like hired to do that, or, or what? Mm. Yeah, I mean, essentially the company is myself and Drew McClellan, um, and we're both web developers, and, and neither of us are designers. We, we sort of like to describe ourselves as developers with fairly good taste. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we've, you know, we, we, for many years, what we actually did was outsourced web development for design agencies. Um, so we're very used to working with designers mm-hmm. and not destroying their stuff. So, so for for things like Perch, you know, we we get designers to to help us with sort of design of the site and also the UI design. Um, you know, we we get people in. We know what our limits are. Mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah. you know, we tend not to destroy things once we you know once we've got a UI design or what have you. We we can implement it. But neither of us are actually web designers. And um, yeah, I think I think we can kind of get by and do things okay but we're also very aware of the difference that, that a good designer will bring to anything that we do so you know we, we work with quite a few different freelancers and, and things to do that yeah i think it's it's it, it would be hard to break into this industry now to mm. to, st- to start i mean like you were saying rachel when we started there was like html <laughs> maybe, maybe pearl and then css came along and we learned those things but Today, uh, somebody getting started with this, I mean, not only is there CSS, but now, <clears throat> excuse me, we have all the people, we have preprocessors and SAS and less. Right. And, you know, I have these students coming to me saying like, well, how does SAS work? I should learn SAS. I'm like, well, you don't even know how CSS works that well. So <laughs> yeah. let's start there and you can master that. And then you will have a need and an interest perhaps in using a preprocessor like SAS or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, now with CMSs too, you have these. I have these students who are like, oh, "I got to learn WordPress. I need to know PHP. I got to learn this and that and this." And it it does seem seem difficult. Would you have any suggestions for somebody who is, you know, I want to build websites? What what kind of path might you suggest to 
mm-hmm. in terms of where do we start, where, where would they start, what technologies, that kind of thing? I think that the important thing is, to, I mean, for anyone, wherever you're going to sit, whether you're going to go into design or front-end development or back-end, you need to know HTML and CSS. You know, yeah. that, that, that's what we're writing. And even if we're using other tools to write it, ultimately, um, you know, our, our output is, is HTML and CSS. And, you know, I think unless you've got a good grasp of that, anything mm-hmm. else that you learn you know, you, you sort of get people who are learning a tool rather than learning the end output. Um, and yeah. it, it's a bit like, you know, going and learning jQuery rather than learning JavaScript first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, jQuery is great and, we, you know, we use jQuery a lot. Um, but if you don't have the JavaScript knowledge, you know, you, you can sort of, you're limited by the fact that you're really just learning that library, that framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the same with content management systems. You get people who know Drupal incredibly well you know they can build all sorts of things with Drupal but they don't really know PHP mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and you know that that's kind of that not only limits what you can do and, and means that you may well do things in a fairly inefficient way but also means that if that tool that you've really sort of bought into goes away or becomes not as useful anymore or is replaced by something far better um, you're going to be a little bit scared to go and do something else because mm-hmm. all of your knowledge is tied up in a tool yeah um, yeah you know, if you've learned core languages, then it's not too scary to move to something else. Um, and if you've learned one programming or scripting language, it's it's fairly easy to to change to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right. I, I was I was a you know did Perl. I was an, a classic ASP developer for quite a long time, and then moved to PHP. And you know, none of those changes were difficult really. It was just mm-hmm. you know, um, oh right, this isn't you know a useful language really anymore. What what should I learn now? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because you know, once you know the basics of of programming, it, it's not too difficult to shift to something else. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I think someone who's starting out, coming coming to this, and wants to uh, make this their career, mm-hmm. I, I would have them just start building static mm-hmm. websites. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. build a bunch of really good static websites so that you understand HTML, HTML5, CSS, CSS3, and then, you know, maybe go to JavaScript from there. I mean, even JavaScript, you have to, the way JavaScript is now used so extensively for UI work, you mm-hmm. still you need to know HTML and CSS inside and out to be a JavaScript programmer, mm-hmm. basically, because you have yeah. to uh, know that to make effective UIs that work in the web. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think then if you know then, if you think, well, Hang on, is there a better way to to deal with this big complex CSS file? You know, and uh, mm-hmm. is, is there a better way to work in a team with people? I mean, I'm yeah. not a great fan of, of preprocessors. However, when you're working with several people on CSS, one thing they do do is, is nicely sort of enforce a standard of, of how you're going to code things and mm-hmm. you know make sure that people, everyone's actually using the same colors and you know yeah. and that sort right. of stuff. Because I mean, CSS is not easy to work with in a team. Um, right. Yeah, and, I mean. <laughs> you know. So I think I think there's that once you've got that core knowledge you can then start making those decisions and you come up against problems and say well has someone else solved this problem already <laughs> you know and, and, and then go and, and have a look right yeah and that's how I feel you know about some of these frameworks too like you know HTML5 boilerplate or uh, Twitter bootstrap mm-hmm. that you know jumping into those things before you understand HTML and CSS seems like a mistake, you know. I think yeah. for similar reasons that you're saying is that they just won't understand what those what's going on in those those um, you know frameworks or or uh, mm-hmm. uh, unless they understand HTML and CSS first. 
Yeah, and also they you know tend to be using stuff they don't actually need to be using. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if if you just sort of start off with it with a kind of a boilerplate that's full of loads of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I see this quite a lot in perch support. One of the things that comes up all the time is people saying perch is removing all the all the um, spacing. Or it's, it's not inserting paragraphs, is what they tend to say. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at their site, you see, well, yes, there are paragraphs, but they've got a reset style sheet which is removing all the padding <laughs> and margin, yeah, right. and they are convinced that it is our software doing this. <laughs> Um, and this happens all. I mean, this is at least yeah. a weekly question um, huh. in the forum or in or in support that you know they assume that it is it is perched output right. that is wrong because they don't realise that a reset style sheet will remove the padding and margin. Right. right. Well, right. well, this kind of dovetails into a uh, post that you made about uh, stop solving problems you don't have, uh, and that's like um, just loading your your page with like a framework that you don't need right mm-hmm. is that is that's just there's like too much you know like like the HTML5 boilerplate you know you would say like there's like so much stuff in there that you don't need to have if you're just doing yeah. a basic web page right yeah mm-hmm. and, and and often you even when you're not doing a basic web page you can be doing something quite large that actually doesn't need these things because the decisions that you make you mm-hmm. can you know sort of then say well I you know I I don't need to make my site responsive in IE8. It's okay for it to be fixed width in IE8. So I don't need a load of JavaScript to do that. Or, right. you know, you sort of, I mean, it's not about not using other people's stuff. And, and I think some people mistake, you know, my sort of attitude for that I'm, you know, I won't use anyone else's stuff. But that's not the case. It's a case of, you know, deciding whether you need to use this stuff, um, not writing everything from scratch. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, right. there's, there's some fantastic work gone into HTML5 Boilerplate and the things that are included in it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. certainly, you know, we should all be looking at that rather than writing our own, which won't have been as well tested or what have you. But it's just using it when you need it rather than because someone said this is a good starting point. Right, um, yeah. You know. So maybe we could talk about CSS now because you mm-hmm. just recently came out with the CSS3 anthology from SitePoint and that's mm-hmm. an update of an earlier CSS anthology that you wrote. That's right, yeah. So uh, what, what's changed in web design and that made you want to come out with a new book? All right, so this is actually the fourth edition of, of CSS anthology. The first one um, we published in 2004 and it had stuff in like you know, how do I hide CSS from Netscape 4 and things? <laughs> I mean, really, you know. So, because Netscape 4 really messes up my guest book. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, so it's amazing, actually. Even, you know, you don't think uh, it, it's probably due to being old, but, you know, I don't think 2004 was that long ago. But then we right, yeah. actually <laughs> to worry about people using Netscape 4. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think at this point, IE6 is, in, is sitting in the place that Netscape 4 was when I... Yes at that first edition you know it's there some of us have to worry about it for certain sites you have to worry about it um but it's kind of going away yeah yeah so anyway when i I came to do this i mean the the third edition um was about two years ago Mm. and when i did the third edition obviously a lot of the css3 stuff was there it existed there were Mm -hmm. implementations in some browsers but we couldn't really promote its use because Mm. there were just too many old browsers around yeah um, the idea of, of CSS Anthology has always been very much, this is stuff that people can use now. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I've sort of always protected that as, as, as a concept of it, that people can copy and paste the examples and they should be fairly safe, you know, mm-hmm. across right. browsers. Um, so anyway, so when SitePoint said, you know, would I do a rewrite, I read through the third edition and thought, 
this is actually a rewrite, you know, <laughs> this, <laughs> right. this, this isn't a few tweaks to examples and making things look nicer, but actually what we can use now um, compared to what we could use two years ago has completely changed. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it ended up really being a, a completely new book um, in, in the same, with exactly the same approach. Mm-hmm. But, but really, I mean, you know, we've rewritten so much stuff and, you know, so many things that, took several pages to explain how to do rounded corners for instance you know end up being this tiny little example yeah, right. and, <laughs> you know, and, and it just actually doing it the process may, you know yeah. makes you realize how much things have really have changed yeah. Yeah, i think in um i wrote the you know the, the css cookbook i think i had like three examples of rounded corners like like three approaches you had the JavaScript version, then you had the uh, the, the slicing limited. of the <laughs> multiple images, and then you had like the uh, multiple nested space. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and now yeah. it's like, oh, here, round the corners. Okay. Yeah. Round the borders. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. And, and it really sort of brought it home how much things actually have changed um, because I think. You know, through all this, I've I've just been a working web developer, and this is this is just what I do. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you in that every time it comes to a new project, I'm sort of oh, what's the best way to do this, and what browsers do we need to support here? Mm-hmm. And you just naturally sort of move on and, and don't really notice how much things have changed. And mm-hmm. and you know, uh, as I'm sure you know, come, you know, when you come back to write a book, you actually you sort of put a stake in the ground. Right. What you know, what what's happening right now when I when I do this book. And what can I recommend? And it, it's amazing. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, things really seem to be exciting at the moment. Things are moving on far more quickly and, and mm-hmm. browsers are releasing new versions more quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's great. You know, it's great to see stuff go into the spec and then be usable. Yeah. yeah I had like a conversation with Linda Wyman like a mm-hmm. long time ago. Uh, and she was discussing how, um, uh, her, like, when, when she wrote books, you know, she wrote like really. Probably like the first, I think, full color graphic book about web, yeah. Uh, right. And um, and she was having a discussion with her friend about like the books that she was writing, and her friend was trying to understand like you know she wasn't part of the web. She's like, "Oh, I get it. You're writing history books. <laughs> you're writing the history of how to design for the web." And so it's and now that we've you know I think collectively you know in this interview right now we have like you know Dave, you've written how many books, and then I've written mm-hmm. a few, and Rachel's here is like you know you've you know we've written a ton of books too it's just, yeah so it's so i think we've we've kind of documented like this history of <laughs> yeah. the web so yeah yeah i mean very much so when i look back at, at you know old versions of books think oh yeah we did used to say that we did used to have to do that <laughs> you right. know right. yeah it's 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 really interesting and it, it's nice to still be moving on with that and to see things that i mean if you'd talked about What's now possible with CSS three back in two thousand and four? This just like complete crazy talk, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, responsive design, you know. I mean, it's uh, you know, it, it, it's brilliant. It's nice to be involved with that. It's nice to be able to chart that history. I think. So um, I, I haven't unfortunately had a chance to check out your new book. It just came out. Um, uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about um, CSS layout techniques that you cover in that because a lot has happened in that space as well in the past few years. I mean, we have, you know, responsive web design, you know, all this talk about grid-based, flexible grid-based layout. You know, we've had floats for years, but now you have people blogging about using inline block 
<laughs> you know, as a layout method. And you wrote a book, Everything You Know About CSS Is Wrong, which talked about using table values on the block property to to basically recreate uh, the 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 benefits really of a table, um, but using not tables, using divs and things like that. Uh, what do you, what do you talk about in your book with that? Okay, well, I just I decided with the book that the the key thing was firstly to introduce people to the basics of doing layout, which actually hasn't really changed that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the various things people need to decide upon um, in terms of what's possible now. Um, right. So, so the first thing was just to explain how all that works because it, I mean it is a book for essentially beginners or sure. or fairly sort of newcomers to, to design and development. So. Firstly, that, just explain the various building blocks. And in the final chapter, we go through a bunch of, of site builds, essentially, starting with a, a fixed-width layout. And then very quickly moving on to how to make that responsive and just explaining the real fundamentals of responsive design. Um, because personally, I think it's the way forward. And I mm-hmm. think that, yeah. you know, flexible grids... Um, I mean, previous versions of the book, we talked about, you know, whether you're going to do a fixed-width or a fluid layout. Right, um, right. And of course, those flexible layouts really had major downsides in the fact that with big screens, they just looked awful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so right, I think, yeah. so I think you know, the, the responsive web design really is, is that alternate now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, explaining the basics of, of using percentages and, and how images will scale and not going horrendously into depth because that would be an entire book of its own and there are some very good books out there that, that talk about the finer details, but just getting people to a point where they can play with that and they can see the, the core ideas that, that are contained within responsive design. Well, I mean, um, in your book, you did talk about like the future of layouts, and, and I wanted to mm-hmm. see if you get your, your views on the different ones, like, uh, like the CSS3 grid layout and uh, the, flex block, the flexible mo- box model and some of that. So like, what are your views on those, and, and, and where do you see that going? Um, I think the most interesting things are where we get away from source order Um, and and that that I think is is kind of almost the holy grail of of layout because whatever we currently do, we still do end up coming back to source order and particularly with responsive design, Mm -hmm. um, you might want to do something quite different with the order of things when it's all linearized for, for a mobile device. And yet we are still essentially tied to, well, this is all a column and, and so it's going to have to all go wholesale underneath here. And um, so that I think that's the stuff I'm most looking for is, is, is sort of being able to separate a bit more from, you know, what the actual layout is, what the sort of template is and the order of things actually in the source. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because what's ideal if it is being read out by a screen reader, for instance, is probably going to be very different to what's ideal on a desktop and what's ideal on a mobile device um, when you be able to swipe around and, and things. So I think that's that's what I'm finding most interesting is, um, it, is that, really, and, and think, anything that's moving towards doing that. Um, so, so what type of uh, freedoms or benefits do you get from not being uh, tied down to a source order. Yeah. Um, well, I see, I think it is it's just that, I mean, for instance, I, I recently did a, a, a large website for an arts festival, for Greenbelt Festivals, and I was working with essentially a traditional print designer um, who was doing the 
the designs. He does all the designs for the festival, so he was doing the designs for the website. And he was sort of coming up with things, saying, oh, well, you know, on, on a phone, it would be best if this was at the top and this was here. And I'm sort of looking and I'm going, we can't really do that. <laughs> you know, what, what he wanted to see really mm-hmm. was a sort of a kind of grid where he could drop any bit in any place. Right. Um, and I'm trying to then bring that into something which will work, uh, you know, on, on the web. Because at the moment, we are very much tied to, well, which column goes where. Yeah. Um, which is why, you know, a lot of the responsive designs, basically what you're seeing is columns just stacking up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because that's really what, we're, what we can do. Um, mm-hmm. It gets, you know, unless we're going to start, you know, picking stuff up with JavaScript and moving it around, which uh, has its own downsides. So, yeah. so yeah, I think that's, that's the, the biggest issue. That and I mean, for responsive design, this is the image, the responsive images and, and being able to serve the correct images. They're the two sort of big things I see that are important for in that. Yeah. I remember I saw a tweet with uh, from Eric Meyer, and he actually said like, yeah, he actually said like, I remember a time when we were like panicking when our columns would go underneath another column, and we got to do everything we could to make that from stop stop from happening. Um, but yeah, so I was just I had a good chuckle with that one. But uh, so so, yeah. w- w- what are your thoughts about the images, uh, adaptive images for responsible web design? What are the issues, and and um, you know, is, is there a solution or, mm. or solutions? I think I mean. You know, I think this is something that's that needs to come really via the browser because it isn't just images. And I think people are sort of, uh, you know, more people are talking about it now in terms of, of bandwidth. But we're kind of assuming that if someone's on a phone, they're also um, or on, you know, on any kind of mobile device, um, they're also using mobile data, which of course isn't really correct. And and we see this a lot with an arts festival site, which you know for when the festival is ongoing, a lot of people are there um, on a, a race course, which is where it's all held, and they have laptops, normal laptops, yet they're on hmm. mobile data. So hmm. really, if we're going to be optimizing images in any special way, we should be doing it for those people too, and yet currently we don't really know hmm. whether someone's using a very limited connection. Um, and that's actually the biggest thing, whereas if someone's at home on their Wi-Fi using an iPad, I don't want to serve them overly optimized images because actually they want to look at lovely rich images you know right. so i think there's, there's kind of two things there's what size screen someone's got and so not serving them giant images even though on a tiny screen right. um but also what data connection someone has and right. can we can we serve them something which is more appropriate um to, to that connection um you know so and i think that's there's enough people now talking about that and 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 coming up with ideas that hopefully that's something that that, that everyone's going to be looking at and that browsers are going to be looking at because mm-hmm. it, it you know it'd be great it'd be great to have that sorted. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's an issue like, that's really kind of uh, dear to my heart right now. I'm just trying to trying to figure that one out. I mean, there's because there's just so much discussion about it, and I feel like it's it's just a, it's a really interesting problem with lots of minor problems associated with mm-hmm. it. So it's yes. uh, and um, and uh, w- one of the things like. You know, I even worked with uh, Mark Bansky to, to do a uh, a mini jQuery plugin for um, um, for that. In terms of just saying we're going to deliver the mobile like low res version first, and then mm-hmm. and then if you um, if you pass a series of tests, uh, we'll swap out the image. Uh, if you mm-hmm. have a high res, you know, a uh, if you're on a fast uh, internet connection speed, or mm-hmm. or um, if you're in like your width screens and you're your screen in your browser can support it or whatnot. And those tests 
while interesting and might have been useful, uh, like locked down 100%, you know, back in 2004, you know, with, with retina displays and what you have, right? And, and the fact that people are on Wi-Fi on tablets or on Wi-Fi mobile devices, like you, like you mentioned, it becomes kind of like a hard test to have. And uh, one, mm. one of the interesting things I've seen is a uh, uh, checking for bandwidth uh, testing and actually being able to pass that through the browser mm. Through, the, mm-hmm. through JavaScript, and so that's mm-hmm. only available, I think, right now in uh, like Android uh, mm-hmm. two point two and up. So that's mm-hmm. so we actually do that test, and so we're actually hoping like WebKit actually um, does that, um, actually updates mm-hmm. it too. So, but um, and then there's other other uh, scripts. I'm going to just throw mine out there, but other scripts just also do a whole lot more stuff. Like uh, actually do like network speed connection tests, which on which on a mobile device on three G just seems kind of overkill for mm. me i just mm. you know like because like because like on a mobile device you really want to send like one image really fast um mm. and you want it to be like low res and at least for me you want to have like that you know that the whole the whole concept of web design like you want to have a big impact with a small like footprint mm. and uh, yeah so with your file size and some of that so so and then also i just been on a kick on trying to uh see if we can get a new image format going actually and so and because mm-hmm. because we need we need because uh, we need a new image format that um, I think can store multiple resolutions mm. and, yeah. and one container file. So mm-hmm. and I think that's because like yeah we have written the displays now, but you know what's going to happen to five years from now when you know we have these tablet wars that keeps on going higher and higher and, and mm, yeah. so it's it's kind of kind of crazy. So yeah but, uh, I, yeah I think I think that. There's a lot of people that seem to be jumping on this issue, and I think it, you know it'd be interesting to see how that how that pans out. Yeah. Um, it's obviously got an interesting implication in terms of content management. Um, you know, actually managing multiple images, and um, mm. it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting to me. And a lot of a lot of the things that I do, you know, it, 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 the, the sort of image issue is interesting. Well, and I also want to get your opinion on like. Um, you know, since, since you've written, you know, four editions of CSS anthology, uh, do you feel like, you know, like how much, like, what are your thoughts on the browser becoming a Photoshop, you know, device, like with CSS, like, you know, actually, like, do you feel like, you know, we don't, there's less reliance on images for the most part these days that you can just, you know, recreate it through other means with like, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think there's an awful lot that we would have had to use images for a few years ago that you know obviously we we don't we don't need to do now um and in in terms of people sort of designing in browser and things i think a lot of that is i mean i'm not a designer but I, I think a lot of that is just how how people think and work best and i know quite a few designers have said well i i think i can be more creative outside of that codey sort of environment you know um which is which is fine you know and actually it doesn't matter whether people what people design in uh, and the important thing is that they actually do understand the constraints of the web and how best to, to achieve things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, really, if people are drawing things or, you know, however they, they want to be creative, it doesn't really matter ultimately. Right. Um, it's certainly a lot easier to work with a designer who can code right. um, just because they understand the constraints. Um, and I've, you know, I've spent years working with designers who can't code, but, <laughs> but um, you know, I think it, it's it's very nice when I get to work with someone who who does actually mm-hmm. understand. You know, they can mock things up or they can jump into Firebug and fiddle around with something and and yeah. you know say oh, this looks better like that. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I definitely appreciate uh, 
appreciate that kind of having that discussion with with a designer who understands code and, and back mm. versa. You know, back uh, I used to work for an agency, and and I it was a great deal of pride that uh, uh, in me taking design from a designer who didn't know anything about HTML or CSS or anything like that, and just or actually it wasn't even CSS at the time, but it was just HTML and uh, and a whole lot of uh, font uh, like font things going on, but um, uh, it just font face in the uh, HTML attributes, but uh. And uh, just be able just to recreate the design as best as I could with a whole bunch of nested tables. And, yes. All <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, and uh, and not yeah. actually have to go to the designer and say, you know, I can't do this. You know, just I just yeah, you know, I, I we need to tw- we need to tweak this design or something like that. So, and um, and they always ask me why. I said I can't nest that deep, so I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. I was sort of chopping things up in uh, into tiny little bits. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. If, you know, there was that point where people were saying, "Oh, you know, CSS layout is so complicated." And then you go back and look at those structures that we used to create mm-hmm. out of oh. tables <laughs> and images. You know, yeah. and these things were horrendously complicated, right, um, right. just awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Like uh, I remember we had to do a, a splash page for uh, a client. It was an international client, and uh, they did a lot of business to business and business to consumer. And uh, the splash page had um, it was like gigantic image rollovers, and I felt so bad because all these images just would not cache and carry over to the pages to the actual mm-hmm. website beneath it. And I was just like, but we had like you know designers had this whole like awesome thing, and so it's so not <laughs> not only were we just designing like a whole bunch of images and tables and nesting, but we had to throw it down. To the users, it would just be useless once they get to page two, and if they got to page two. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, you were creating a splash page, so that just tells you a lot there about well, like, when well, yeah, you were was, building an awesome, that website. It was an awesome splash page, so they, so they could get to the guest book. So, yeah, so, yeah. Right? It, it, it all ended up with a guest book. That's yeah. <laughs> why, do you know, why is it called a splash page? I've never even thought about that. Uh, it's just because like, it's the first thing you see when you, um, when, like, it's like, Going to uh, pool and splashing is like, it's, I don't know. So like, the big, make a big splash. Oh, okay. so you make a big splash. Yeah, okay. not pool. That, that was a bad before. But yeah, big, big, big splash. <laughs> so, but yeah, so yeah, and that, and uh, you know, and there's a whole theory in science of, I mean, not science, our whole theories about like, what would you need to do to make a really awesome uh, splash page? We can make a whole podcast about this. <laughs> <laughs> a splash page podcast. Yeah. yeah. That would be, I'd tune into that for sure. <laughs> you, need to get, you need to get people to dig back into their archives of things they designed 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Yes. It's true. <laughs> well, um, this probably, since we've made it all the way to splash pages, probably a pretty good time to wrap it up <laughs> before we go back, even before the splash page. I remember when I didn't even have graphics on my web pages. We had a text um, browser and yeah. we liked it. <laughs> <That's right>. Yeah, <laughs> uh, some, some grumpy old people of web design. That's, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. There's all these 20 year olds listening to our podcast. Well, they probably turned it off by now, yeah. but you know, yeah. like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> um, so maybe we we like to ask you know one final question of um, our guests, uh, and we usually you know like to see what you are interested in, what you are thinking about, and what the future might hold. So we um, 
you know, the web's always changing and predicting its future is usually, I mean, you can't really win with that. But um, if you think about the technologies that are getting most discussed now, like on Twitter and blogs at conferences, what do you see as being the most important things that web designers should keep their eyes on for the near future? Um, I think, I mean, I think we've covered some of that. I mean, I think the, yeah. the, the, the responsive stuff and, and the, and images. And I think what is going to start to become possible in terms of new, you know, sort of new layout techniques. Um, and I think the thing for anyone really is, is to keep up to date with this new stuff, even when you can't use it right mm-hmm. now in production work because things are moving so much faster now and I think we've seen that in the last couple of years how quickly things that we were saying oh it'd be great when we can use this have actually become possible to use um, you know as long as you're careful about how things then display and stuff that doesn't support it so you know I think actually seeing what's coming having a play with it mm-hmm. you know bearing in mind what it can and can't be used for um, because I think as well it, it keeps you excited in what you do yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, to me, that's the most important thing really is to, is to keep excited and, and keep enjoying what you do and keep looking for all the new things that are coming up and playing with right. them. Yeah. Um, you know, that would be, you know, a biggest suggestion because that stops you getting bored and stops you getting fed up with the fact that, yeah, you have to cope with IE6 still. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, thanks, Rachel, for joining us. And uh, um, yeah, it's been you, a real pleasure yeah, t- you, talking to you. Yeah, oh. You, oh, sorry. Just, can you let us know where um, people can find you on the web? Um, yeah, I'm Rachel Andrew on Twitter. That's usually the best way to get hold of me. Um, my personal website is rachelandrew.co.uk and the company is edgeofmyseat.com. And, and how do people find out about Perch? And Perch is grabaperch.com or as I say, links from, from various uh, places of mine. Great. Well, I'm going to definitely check out Perch myself because I'm looking for a sort of a low, you know, a mini CMS is I think a really mm. good approach with... Yeah. You know, all the kind of overkill that WordPress, Mm. you know, brings or overhead that WordPress brings to the table. So this is great. I will check that out. Mm. And thanks, Rachel. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, that's great. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Our thanks to Rachel Andrew for joining us on Non-Breaking Space. You can check out the show notes for this episode at nonbreakingspace.tv, where we'll have all the links discussed in this episode. Be sure to watch for the next episode of Non-Breaking Space, where you'll be able to hear Christina Halverson say, I don't know, none of us had ever been in a room with other content strategists before, so we just sort of sat there staring at each other like, you are of my kind. You know, it's like, it's like being an alien and suddenly discovering there are more of you. Mm-hmm.